All right, thanks, Beth. Well, um, one of the things uh, that COVID has done to, uh, for a lot of people and a lot of institutions is, is to put them in a lose-lose situation. Uh, I was listening to a podcast last week. Uh, they were talking about the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceling their football season. Uh, and in the end, they were saying that, that uh, when, when the, the, the season's over, they're either going to look really smart or, or really stupid. Because like if it, if it goes well for the, for the, let's say the SEC continues to play and it goes well, then the Pac-10 and, uh, or the Big Ten and Pac-12, they're going to look kind of stupid for canceling because they should have just, just done it. But it's a lose-lose because the, the, only, the only reason they look good is if things go really bad with the pandemic, right? So, so there's really not a situation where the Big Ten and Pac-12 are going to, at the end of this, think, well, that was, that was great. That was a, that was a good, good, good deal. It was just a, a lose-lose, right? So this story in, in Exodus, you have uh, this order that goes out that all the male children are to be killed, uh, to be thrown in the Nile. And there's this woman, and she has a son, Moses. And there's no good option. She can try to hide it and eventually have herself or others killed. Um, the, the baby would likely die with her or with her with them in the, in the Nile. So there's just no good option. Um, and we've probably experienced, well, we probably haven't gone through anything like that. We, we've probably had a few things, and especially lately, where there was just no good option. Or, or, or maybe there was two good options, but you would have to say no to one and have to live with the measure of regret. So, so anyway, we're, we're going to have these moments that's just going to be lose-lose. There's not going to be a good option for us. And in those moments, we have instincts. We have kind of the, the way we react to those moments, that we haven't, we haven't decided to react this way or thought about it. It's just what we do. Like if I were to hand you a, a baseball and say, throw it, well, if you're right-handed, you're going to throw it right-handed, left-handed, you're going to throw it left-handed. And you don't think, I'm going to do it this way or that way. You just do it. It's just an instinct. And so when you enter into a lose-lose situation, you have instincts in that moment. Whether you realize it or not, there's things you do when you're in a tight spot that are just instincts to you. And, and as Christians, when we encounter bad situations or lose-lose type situations, we tend to go instinctively in one of two directions. We either go into fix-it mode, we try to figure out how to make the problem go away. Maybe we're looking to ourselves or maybe we're trying to get other people to come in to, to help. We need to make, and the, and the issue is, the instinct is, this is a problem and it's got to go, right? We got to fix this thing. The other instinct is that we would look to God, that we set our hope in him. And re regardless of whatever the problem is or the outcome might be, we would just set our hope in him. And, and much of the Christian life is retraining ourselves to do the second thing, right? And, and I think the passage today is going to help to train our instincts to, to look to God first when these moments that are inevitable begin to come upon us. So I, I have two points today, and they're really simple points, uh, but the more we understand them, the more precious they'll be to us, uh, the more we'll love God. Uh, and, and look, all of us struggle to some degree with uh, anxiety and depression. Maybe it's a, a bad day or a bad season or it's been years, whatever it is. But the more we understand this, the, the less we will struggle with, with that. And my two points to this, like I said, they're simple. Number one, salvation belongs to God. And number two, salvation does not belong to man. Like I said, it seems real simple, but I hope it becomes precious as we work through and unpack the meaning here. So first, salvation belongs to God. So the birth of Moses is a, is a clear working of God's providence, right? In, in 122, we read that every Hebrew son that was born was supposed to be thrown in the Nile River. 
So, so Moses' mother follows the letter of the law, but not the spirit. She, she takes this basket, kind of makes it waterproof on the bottom so it'll float. Uh, she puts them in a basket uh, among the reeds on the river bed, so, so a bit more secure. Then Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby and realizes it's a Hebrew baby, but she doesn't kill the baby. She doesn't throw it in the Nile to die like her father, the Pharaoh, commanded is, 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 that's what's supposed to happen. And, and rather than have him killed, it turns out that Moses' sister is there. I'm not sure how she's there, but she's there. And so Pharaoh's daughter looks to Moses' sister and says, will you go find someone to nurse this baby? So his sister goes and gets the baby, gets Moses' mother. And it turns out that Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' mother to nurse Moses. And so this turns out incredibly well. Right, so if she's praying about this, if she's asking the Lord to help out, she probably didn't even dream to ask this. Like she's just wanting the baby to not die. She's not thinking, she probably didn't think, well, maybe I can get Pharaoh's daughter to pay me to nurse my child. No, no, that's not what she's thinking at all. It just went extravagantly well. Moses' mother could not have dreamed it to go any better. And, and we all know the story, but there's no suspense about what happened. We know Moses grows up to be, Moses is gonna turn out all right. Like we all know that there's no suspense there. But here's the thing, like in that moment, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was scary, they didn't know what was gonna happen. But, but look, was there ever a chance this wasn't going to work out? Was, was Moses ever maybe not gonna make it out of the Nile? Was he ever maybe, maybe, maybe was he gonna die in the Nile or be killed or be found by somebody else? Was Moses really fortunate and, and he caught a lot of good breaks? Did God get lucky that Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on him? Was God lucky in the situation? Or was this God's providential hand working things out? And I don't think these things are luck or chance. I think these things are God's providence. And I think we need to learn to think in terms of God's providence more than luck and chance. And look, I don't wanna be the, the luck police. Whenever somebody says luck, say, oh, God's providence. But there's a sense where we need to think that. So say luck, but mean God's providence, right? Because this is what's at work. God saved Moses. Moses and his mother were not lucky. Moses' mom did not save them. Pharaoh's daughter didn't save them. It was God and God's providence because salvation belongs to God. The, the Heidelberg Catechism written in 1563, gives a helpful definition of God's providence. Here's what it, what it says. The question, what do you understand by the providence of God? The answer is this. The almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So from that, we get this. You are not in Starkville. You are not in your job, your current job or your future job. You're not in your marriage by chance or luck. Where you are right now, your situation in life right now is not by chance and it is not by luck. And it's not because of the decisions you've made, not ultimately because of the decisions you've made. You are where you are by the providence of God and by his fatherly hand. And that is really good news for us as Christians, even if you don't like the place you are right now in your life. 
And here's why. There's a promise in the scriptures from God's word that speaks to God's providence and what it means to Christians. And it's a famous verse and it's famous for good reasons. It's Romans 8, 28. And it says this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. One thing I do not like to do is to assemble things. And what I, I don't mind work. I like work. I don't like to put together a desk. I, I, I don't like to put together a lot of the toys. We, several years ago, we got a play set. And uh, so, so the, all the parts came in the mail. And many of you have seen this disaster before. It's like a million pieces, right, that make no sense. And so, so open the box. It's crazy. Most, you know, the, some pieces made sense. I was like, okay, this is a slide. This is a swing. But besides that, it was just like, you know, it was just a mess. But, but by the end, all the parts fit together. All, all the parts had a place, and they were all where they were supposed to be. And according to God's providence, the same is true with our life. Like, in your life, I mean, I don't even have to tell you this. You know this. There's a lot of parts that are just ugly or weird and don't make sense. Like, that's no secret. You're not unique if you're in that situation. But what we learn from the scripture about God's providence is that God's making something. Romans 8, 20, all things working together for the good. And immediately we have a million objections to that because we have bad things. Like, oh, those things not accepted. Like, that's a part of this, this work that God is doing for the good. All the parts will fit together for the good. Romans, tells, Romans 8 tells us our life has all these parts, but God who sees the end from the beginning, it makes sense to him. And so we need to be content to, to understand and to accept that we won't know what God is doing. So when you have a part that doesn't make sense, that seems off, that seems weird, or you have a regret, you don't like where you are, then you just need to, to take comfort that God is doing something and, and you're kind of not even supposed to get it. That there should be parts that don't make sense to you. But you should know that somehow all things are working together for the good. Tim Keller said this about unanswered prayer uh, or, or, or prayers that are denied. He said, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. So whatever God's providence has orchestrated in the world and in your life up to this point, by God's providence, you would have asked for that to happen if you knew what God knew. You would have asked for it. And look, I don't pretend to know what's going on with COVID-19, but I can tell you this, for those of you who love God, however COVID might be affecting you, it is working together with God's purposes for good. You can know that. And if you knew what God knew, hear this, if you knew what God knew, you would ask for COVID-19. You would ask for the pandemic to come. Do you know why? Not because it's not terrible, it is terrible. Because God is somehow using this to work all things together for the good. So for those of you who are about to lose your mind over, over COVID-19 or the, or the reaction to COVID-19, just know this, it is a part, it is a piece of what God is doing. And it, and it, might, it, look, it might not make sense. It might be a part that we don't get, but we can assume that, there will often, that we will often not know what God is doing. And the same goes for all the other little things in your life that you might not understand. 
God's providence is currently governing the world at a macro level. Let's just take a global pandemic. And he's governing your life at a micro level, how this might affect your job, your school, your situation in Storkville. So, so when you are in crisis, when you're in a lose-lose situation where there seems like there's no good option, your instinct will, will be to look to yourself or try to fix it or make the, make the problem go away or to look to someone else to do something. And we just have to train our instinct to look to God and to his promises. And we need to unlearn fixing problems and unlearn the idea that we have to make the problem go away or being overly distraught when these problems come up. And we need to learn that salvation belongs to God and not to man, which brings me to my second point. Salvation does not belong to man. So in chapter 2, 1 through 10, we read about how God saves Moses. And then in 2, 11 through 15, we read about how Moses tries to save Israel or an Israelite. So y'all, we, we just read the story. Moses sees an Egyptian and he's beating a Hebrew. And later, when no one's looking, Moses goes and he kills that Egyptian that was beating the Hebrew. And we read that Moses thought it was a secret. He looked around, didn't think anybody was looking. But it turns out this little secret was not much of a secret. It was known. And later it came to his attention that the Pharaoh was looking to kill Moses for killing this Egyptian. And so there we have a picture of Moses trying to save Israel. Didn't go so great. It, it ended with him running away, scared. And in Acts chapter 7, go ahead and turn there. In Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen the martyr is, is kind of giving a big summary of, uh, of really all the Old Testament, what happens in, in the New. And uh, in any way, he, he, he shares a, a, little, a little passage about, about the, uh, shares a little bit about this passage that we looked at. It's Acts chapter 7, verse 23 to 29. I want to look at his summary. So Acts chapter 7, verse 23 to 29 says this. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them, and as they were calling, he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill, kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of, of two sons. So in verse 25, we see that Moses thought that the Israelites should see that he was saving them. But that didn't happen here, did it? In an attempt to save them, he killed a man, and then he ran away scared. He really didn't save anybody. And look, you can't blame Moses for, for thinking he might be the, the savior of Israel. I mean, it makes sense. So he's born a Hebrew. He has this kind of miraculous survival, right? And then as a Hebrew, he ends up as, as an insider in Egypt. And not just, you know, a normal Egyptian. He's in, the, he's in the Pharaoh's house. He's in the royal family. Like, man, this is a great candidate. Way to go. God, you got really lucky with Moses that he made it this far in. Maybe we can do something here. And so you can't blame Moses for thinking about that. But here's the, here's the problem. The problem with Moses at this moment is he was too perfect. He was too perfect. When, when, if you were to look at it, you would just think, well, yeah, this is, Moses is the one that, that saved him. He was, he was the perfect person to do it. 
But here's what you'll see, that when God eventually saves Israel, what you'll see over and over, we'll see this this semester, what you'll see over and over is that when, when, when the Egyptians, like God wanted the Egyptians to know something. Through this whole process that's about to unfold in Exodus, there was something that God wanted the Egyptians to know. And this is what God wanted the Egyptians to know, that the God of Israel is the Lord. The message wasn't Moses is awesome, Moses is perfect. The message was God saves. The message of Exodus is about God saving his people. And this little passage that we have of Moses trying to, to doing it and failing miserably is for us to know that Moses isn't the one that's gonna save. It's God that's gonna save. God was gonna save Israel for his own glory. God did not need Moses. Moses would not be the savior. Salvation does not belong to man. It belongs to God. And look, we see this over and over in the scriptures in the Old Testament leading up to Christ saving us. You guys probably remember the story about Gideon's army, right? The, the army that, that God kind of, kind of shrunk. So the, the story of, of, um, of Gideon is in Judges 7. You don't have to turn there. I'll just give a quick summary of it. But uh, Gideon started with an army of about 32,000 soldiers. And then God says this in Judges 7-2. He says, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying this, my own hand has saved me. So, so God told Gideon to tell everyone who was scared, all the soldiers, God told him to say, hey, tell them, whoever's scared, you're free to go. So they have 32,000 soldiers. Gideon says, look, the Lord has told me uh, if anyone is scared, if anyone is, is afraid to go into battle, then you can leave. And you know how many left? 22,000 left, right? It's not hard. Who, who wants to go to war and maybe die? There's an option? Yeah, maybe I'd rather stay back. But there were 10,000 brave men who wanted to stay in the fight. Then God said, still too many. We're going to do something else. There's a, there's a little stream. You tell your men to, get, to go get water. This time we're not going to leave the choice to them. There's going to be two kinds of people that when they go down to the water to drink, there's going to be people who, who kind of lay down and put their face in the stream and drink out of, out of the water that way. And there's going to be some that kneel down and cup the water with their hand and bring it up. I want you to keep the ones who cup the water with their hand. Well, 9,700 people put their mouths in the water and now you have Gideon's 300. God was shrinking them down to impossible odds because that's how God likes it because God is communicating something about himself, something about who he is, in particular, that salvation belongs to God. It is God who saves man. I think one of the reasons that God and his prophets had Moses flee to Midian was to become the kind of man God wanted to use. Not a strong man, but a weak man. Not someone who was, who was living the good life, but someone whose life didn't quite turn out as they expected. It even had a bit of a, a fall from grace. Look, some of you are, are blessed souls and you have this humble, Godward disposition. And, and if, if I were to, and I don't know everyone in here's full story, but for those who have that sweet Godward disposition, I bet your life has humbled you. I, I bet you, you've gone through some tough seasons. Some of you might not have this orientation now, and you will later, and, and you're gonna take some, some pretty good hits as you get there. But here's what the good news is. I think we've seen God's providence, Romans 28. When you get there, I think you'll be grateful for it. 
and let me say this, you might not know what is going on, that it's going on when it happens. The way, when God is doing things, we usually don't know what he's doing. Like even if you, if you think about Moses' life, so his first 40 years, he was somebody, right? He, he's, in, he's in Pharaoh's house. He's a big deal. And then the next 40 years, he's humbled. He's, he's a shepherd in Midian. You know, there might have been some, some, um, some folks in, in Egypt. Maybe they like Moses. Now, hey, whatever, whatever happened to Moses? Where, where's he at these days? You know, he went out to some random place. He's like watching sheep or something. I don't know. I guess he's a farmer. I don't know. It's just, just this humbling seat in 40 years. That's not a short time. But it was after that time, the next 40 years, that God used him to do great things. God is strong, and in his providence, he uses the weak. And sometimes he makes us weak in order to use us for his power to begin to surface in our life. We see this in the New Testament, right? Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he had that thorn in the flesh, and he wanted it to go away. He prayed for God to take it away, and he came, in verse 9, he says this, but he said, talking about Jesus, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul boasts in his weakness because it gives him the power of Christ. And remember, if you remember that passage, we looked at it last, last semester. Three times I asked the Lord to take this thorn away from me. And then he, he quit. He didn't ask anymore. And you know why he didn't ask anymore for it to go? Not because he thought God wouldn't do it. It's because he thought it's better the thorns there. And if he could go back in time, he might pray. and He might say, Lord, I think it's time to get the thorn there. He was grateful for it. So Paul boasts in his weakness because it gives him the power of Christ. And, it, it, and it's, isn't this how we're saved? Isn't this how we become Christians? Like you don't become a Christian until you realize that, that you can't save yourself, until you realize you're not good enough. You know, after hearing some of Jesus' teaching, some of the harder teachings, uh, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, who then can be saved? And, and, and Jesus didn't say, well, you know, those who uh, really try hard and are, are genuine and sincere. He, he didn't say those who give a real effort and, and try to do what's right and help others. Here's Jesus' answer to, the, to this question. What, 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 who then can be saved? Here's Jesus' answer in Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You don't become a Christian until th this question is asked. Who then can be saved? And the response is, it's impossible. Can't be done. With man it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So you don't become a Christian until you believe you are utterly helpless to save yourself and that it is God who saves. It's not your good record or good works or anything else. God saves. With man it is impossible. Salvation belongs to God and not man. And our approach to, to, to our salvation should be the way we approach life. We're saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you grew up good kids and, and you might've been good. If somebody could save themselves by their own works, you might've been a good candidate for it. But, but for, for many of you, something happened, something changed. Maybe you had a, a personal failing to where you sinned in a way, maybe it was public, or maybe you're the only one that knew about the darkness of your heart, and you knew that other people, while they might see you as a, as a good kid or whatever, you knew it got pretty dark when, it, when you peel back the layers. And you saw the ugliness of your sin for the first time, and you realized you were not saved by your record because you did good, because you tried hard, because you prayed, because you did whatever. 
you realize that you were saved by sheer grace and grace alone and needed a savior. God's grace and providence are really good news for us. Even if his grace and providence has you currently in a situation you don't like. We know that we are gonna be constantly making complicated and uncomfortable mess of our lives. And somehow with all this stuff that we're doing, all these messes we make, somehow it's like the parts in a playset, right? It just looks like a mess, but, but God is doing something here that we don't get. He sees the end from the beginning and we don't. And so we need to be content that he knows what he is doing. So may God help us to look to him and not to ourselves. And may the spirit of God give us new instincts that look to God first and find comfort and rest in his good providence because salvation belongs to God and not to man. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word that leads us to the uncomfortable realization that we bring nothing to the table for our salvation except for the sin that makes it necessary. And so would you give us eyes to see your providence that works in our life, that you are working all things together for good and give us great hope in that. And as we see that God is the main character in the story of Exodus and it's not Moses, would you help us to see that in our lives, the main character in the story of our lives is not us, it is you, God. And so we pray for this grace to be on us. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, amen.